Welcome back to uh, Risk Check Podcast, episode 57. Uh, the gang is back together again, minus one. Uh, it seems like every time we shoot now, one of you guys are missing. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys are trying to just pull the wool over my eyes. Just, just, I don't know what's going on. But, oh, no. Uh, no, uh, Ben couldn't join us uh, this evening. He's uh, got a personal matter to attend to, but he'll be back next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, back this week with us on the couch is Rashawn, straight from London. Yes, yes. How, 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 how was it? It was great. It was great. Had a really good time. Was there um, hanging out with family and friends. Um, you know, I kind of got inducted into a new family. Okay. Talk um, about it. So a really good um, friend of mine um, invited me to his wedding and... You know, it was a small wedding, probably about 60 people and everyone there outside of myself and Mary and maybe like a few others were family. Okay. Um, I, I felt very honored to be there. Um, it was great. Um, got to get on the dance floor, show my moves. Okay. It was, it was break dancing. <laughs> so if you guys follow me on Instagram, you see my, my break dancing video. Um, which was really fun. But then um, me and Mary got to be able to enjoy the city and kind of see what London had to offer. Um, the people are great. Um, the the city itself, i seen a lot of New York in it. Okay. Um, and of course, you know, we know, you know. We're just kind of like the busyness, the lively, the, liveliness. The busyness, the livelihood, just kind of like even just how like the shopping areas are set up. Um, the funny thing is like, you see people kind of like, you know, once they get out of work, ties coming off, shirts unbuttoned and they're heading to the pub. And I think it's very similar with New York where it's like, you know, you kind of like let your hair down and, and, you know, you go to your, your local neighborhood spot and then like, you know, you just party like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so, so that was really, really fun to do. That sounds awesome, man. I'm glad you got to experience that. Did you see anything cool in terms of watches out there? I did. I did. Um, so I went and I visited um, a few shops. Of course, you know, the Rolex boutiques were exhibition only, <laughs> which I expected. And that definitely wasn't what I was um, interested in. I um, I went uh, uh, out to Watches of Switzerland in London and I, and I visited and I seen the, uh, the MB&F nice. collection. Um, and I was able to try on the, uh, the Bulldog. Wow. Which is actually really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I think for the timepiece, you know, it is time only, but I don't think that was the focus. I think it was to focus on just what MB, MBNF can do and, mm-hmm. you know, what they can do design wise and what they can offer to. Um, I mean, it's a heck of a watch. Is it? heavy is 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 it's a big piece yeah heavy price point i won't say a heavy watch yeah. <laughs> um because if i'm not mistaken i think it's titanium it's extremely light mm. it was like wearing nothing on the wrist mm. um but aesthetically beautiful um there was a few there was a few clocks um there was like this um kind of rocket ship shaped clock okay that also um was like it played music mm-hmm very similar to um, that Ulysse Nodden piece that plays like Stranger in the Night. Oh yeah, or like um, or like the uh, the Godfather, the um, uh, Jacob, Jacob and Co. Co. Sure. Um, so there wasn't many watches; it was mostly clocks. Okay. 
Um, I got to see a couple of things in Paddock. Um, Paddock, of course, was exhibition. There was a few things that were available for sale, mostly women's, of course, mm. or like, you know, grand complications for men. But um, it was fun. It was awesome. Fun. It was fun. I'm glad you got to experience that, my man. Uh, getting back in the swing of things, we have to have our honorary wrist check. Yes. Uh, as such as tradition. What are you wearing tonight? Oh, so, um, you know what? Like I said, I was going to, I was going to hang up my title of never repeating a watch. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I was still throwing some new pieces here and there. Funny enough, I was supposed to wear a new watch on this filming. Didn't pan out that way for right, for the right reasons. Um, Currently, I'm wearing the uh, 5726. Big boys. Paddock Philippe um, Nautilus. Big boy watches only. Yes. This watch, like, I mean, I don't think I've taken it off since we filmed with uh, Patrick. Okay. Um, so when I first introduced it on the show, I think I wore it then and I've never taken it off since. Um, there was there was a time where I changed Um my wrist piece and I was like, all right, I'm gonna wear this and whatever, but then it just it just brought me back to the paddock. I was mm. like, I, I was like, I have to wear this. Okay. Absolutely have to wear it. Respect. I'm glad you're enjoying that. I am. It's a hell of a piece. And it's on a great strap. Yes. Custom shark skin. Yeah. Um I think I shared that before when we were talking about pa uh with Patrick, but like, yeah, the custom the custom shark skin kept it aquatic, you know, um, I wasn't a fan of the original um, strap. Mm -hmm. I mean, the black croc just didn't really. You, the watch kind of got lost, right? A bit. Um, this, no, that's nice. It adds character, makes it, it different, makes Feels it very, very different, more sporty. I mean, Peter's gonna be mad at you, but that's okay. We can we can live with that, right? We can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if it's and and it is supposed to be a professional watch or a dive watch, so like, why not put it on? You know. Shark skin. Respect. I love it. Yeah. I think it's a great piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am wearing a new watch tonight. Ooh. Uh, this watch is a very, very special watch. This is a watch um, that I got from our friend Eric Wind. Yeah, shout out to Down Eric. in Florida. Shout out to Eric Wind. He's amazing. Uh, so for those that don't know, Eric has an amazing uh, partnership with Seiko and Rolling Blazers. Um via his college friend and former roommate, Jack, who founded Rowing Blazers. And this, I believe, is the, I want to say this is the third collaboration mm -hmm. that they've done with Seiko. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the Seiko 5 Sports model. It's a reproduction of a vintage Seiko piece. And um, they were going for, you know, something that felt really summery. And so they released a, a, a variety of, these dial colors, mm -hmm. uh, mine's is purple, but they also released, there was a white one with uh, multicolored uh, indices. There was a yellow one, mm -hmm. which was pretty awesome because it came on like a, a green, yellow and, and red uh, NATO strap, kind of give you that. Bob Marley Yeah, vibes. Bob Marley, Jamaican feeling, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was really cool. And then there was... The pink one. The pink one, which I thought was, uh, was a hit as well. Mm -hmm. um, this one is the purple one, and I've been wearing this. I haven't taken it off since I got it. So I've been wearing this uh, going on two weeks straight. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, I'm I'm a fan. Yeah, you put it on the NATO. And I, I, today I put it on the NATO. I've been wearing it on the bracelet. Yeah. 
Bracelet's nice. Uh, the bracelet is clean, but today I felt like doing the NATO. It's a it's a warm day in New York City, and it just felt appropriate to go like, you know, some real summer vibes. I agree. Um, it's got a kanji English date wheel, so you can go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, seconds hand, uh, kind of looks like a candy cane. And it's got a lollipop on the other end. The mm. loom on this thing is very powerful. It's really, really nice. Yeah. And it's uh, open case back. So when you, uh, and we'll share uh, images, but when you turn it over, you see um, you see the uh, Rolling Blazer skeleton yes. uh, sitting down. And uh, you can peek behind them and, and see the actual movement mm-hmm. uh, that's keeping this thing beating. So I'm a fan. Um, this watch kind of made me fall in love with Seiko again. And um, I mean, Eric is an, is he's got an, an amazing eye for timepieces. Uh, for those of you that know, he's a, a vintage dealer. You can visit him uh, or his website rather, windvintage.com, where he has an amazing assortment of collections. And he's someone who has garnered an amazing reputation, uh, not only for sourcing incredible pieces, but incredible pieces that are of the highest quality that you would want. To, uh, to adorn on your wrist. So mm-hmm. big shout out to Eric. Many thanks. I'm a fan. And uh, this is going to get a lot of his time this summer. Heck yeah. Uh, moving along. The numbers are in. Numbers are in. The sales figures are in. You got some numbers to share yeah. in terms of big brands and their output, their, their financial performance last year. What are we looking at? Um, so I think they have measured, or Time and Tide, shout out to Time and Tide. Shout out to Time and Tide. They had uh, measured the top five brands, um, Rolex, Omega, AP, Cartier, um, and Paddock. Mm-hmm. And it was it was very funny to see the numbers because um, we talk about it all the time when you're talking about supply versus demand and then um, kind of what... <laughs> You know, the the rumor is uh, Rolex is trying to control their numbers. They're trying to control how much they put out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was surprising to see that Rolex had did roughly about $10 billion in business. Yeah. Um, who came second, third to that? Um, Cartier came in second, I think, at about 2.8. Okay. Um, Omega was at about $2.5 billion. Um, then AP followed at about two billion or, or, or slightly um, north of that, and then um, Paddock was at about one point eight. Wow! So I mean, the funny the funny thing is when you look at um, the price points of all these watches outside of Rolex, even for watches that are on catalog, mm-hmm. right? For watches that are on catalog from Rolex's competitors. Their price points are exponentially higher than way higher Rolex. Yeah. So you know you take a, a Oyster Perpetual coming in at about six thousand dollars, and you take like a Speedmaster or even an Aquaterra. You know it's still greater than a Rolex, but Rolex is able to do four times more business than the the competitors. Almost does more business than the other top four combined. Um, I think it attests to what Rolex is is able to do. Mm. Um, you know, they are doing the best they can to meet the demand, and I think we need to give them credit. Yeah, for that. I mean, they're a machine. One hundred percent. You know, and I think you brought up an interesting point talking about how you know their competitors, if you will, um, have watches 
where the the average price point far exceeds uh, the role. I think the, the average Rolex price point is somewhere around fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars yeah. if you like average it all out. Yes, right. Whereas like if you get into paddock, you're starting at twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. for either a, you know maybe a simple ladies' time only piece or an Aquanaut. Yeah, like you're starting in the mid twenties. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, it jumps up exponentially. I mean, even you think about AP, you know, if you want a 15,550, that's going to cost you $26,000. Time and date only, Royal Oak. Yes. 37 millimeter. Uh, and the price points for the other brands, obviously much lower, but they have high horology pieces that go well into the six figures. Cartier with like revelations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that Rolex is able to have that kind of, uh, you know, that that success and in, in, you know, financially, I think for most people, if you look at it, that should give you some perspective on what their output is like. And I know we talk about Rolex producing a million units a year. Now it's somewhere probably neighborhood of a million, two, a million, three. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of watches. They are produ- single handedly producing a majority of what's out in the marketplace. Yes. Right. And so that's how you get to achieve those numbers. And it makes for an interesting conversation, I think. For those that are in the market to to get a Rolex um, and are having trouble getting one, I think probably now's the time where it's a lot easier to get your hands on a Rolex, maybe mm-hmm. not the Rolex that you're looking for. Agreed. But you can definitely get a Rolex because the units are out there. Yes. Yeah. So a just interesting little, 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 I guess, graph and, and data that they shared in terms of sale output and and what it means so you know for production. So I hope those of you who are listening to After Rolex, maybe this summer is your summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this is your Rolex summer. This is your chance to get that watch and and hit the streets and flex a little bit and be part of the the Crown Club. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving along, we had some new releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of AP, uh, they have a relationship. Uh, with Marvel, this comes, you know, this comes out on the heels of um, the exit of Francois yes. and the amazing relationship that he established uh, with Marvel with the help of Don Cheadle. And so there's a new Marvel watch um, in the catalog for AP and it's Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, thoughts? Um. <laughs> so let me just put, frame this up before you share. Yeah. The watch retails for two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Yes. Thoughts. Oof. Oof. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, seeing the success of the Black Panther um, timepiece, I think um, it was very appropriate when the Black Panther had released because um, you know it was on the heels of the film. Right, and the film was on fire, and then we knew that the you know the rumors of because um, at the time it was speculation, and we kind of knew it was like that a sequel was coming, and yeah. Chadwick Boseman was on fire, you know, rest in peace to him, um, you know, he was in a bunch of films, so like there was a lot of excitement and a lot of um, steam sure. behind this release. Yeah, thinking about this Spider Man release. Um, is very interesting and it's something that you said that kind of like stuck with me is, you know, Francois exiting, but you know, the relationship with Marvel started with Don Cheadle and not like some executive, 
you know, or Stan Lee or anybody, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it came from someone that is one of, you know, that was a client of AP. Yeah. Someone that, you know, obviously Don Cheeto is a legend and he has that kind of um, status to where he can probably snap his finger and virtually anything can happen. But um, funny enough, I feel like if someone like a Francois was still around in the business, and that's not a knock to, you know, those who are coming to take his place. Sure. But um, one thing about him, he had his finger on the pulse and was able to to kind of like bridge those gaps. So I think if there was something with a little bit of steam of like Tom Holland, yep. where like Tom Holland, of course, is... Um, an avid watch collector. He yep. has an amazing collection. He's in a lot of films as well. He's um he's kind of like the next man up. Mm-hmm. Um, being being you know today's Spider Man, you know, Tobey Maguire and you know Andrew Garfield, all those guys. Of course, they've kind of like retired the mask, right? And Tom is 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 championing that. It's like. There should have been a, a little bit of association with that, and maybe and maybe we're jumping the gun. Maybe there is something. Sure. Well, hopefully, hopefully they listen to Rich Check Pod and they'll you know <laughs> <laughs> take what I say into I consideration. So. But like, I think that there isn't really for me. I'm not moved. I'm not behoved by it. Um, the price point to me is like, okay, I get it because of course it's going to be limited and you're going to be very selective. And, you know, if you do own this piece, you will be in the company of, you know, Kevin Hart, Serena Williams, LeBron James, Fremstar, and so many others. So I get it, but I think that there, there should have been a, there, there, there's something missing in this mm. release. If, if I, if I may say. Yeah. I mean, I think it feels like, and you know, perhaps we're jumping the gun. I don't know, but there isn't anything else tangible associated with it for especially for for those that are not going to be able to spend $215,000 on a watch um i don't know of a spider-man film that's coming out uh but maybe you know this is this is a little bit early it, it is uh they're making 250 units mm-hmm. so quite a few um it it's it's always weird for me when a brand like an AP does something like this only because it's like, I'm sure that some of the guys that are buying it are um, probably like real, you know, Marvel guys that mm-hmm. absolute nuts about it and, and and they love it and they have the disposable income. But I think there's also, we know there's the novelty of it. And, you know, a lot of guys are going to go after it because they know that, hey, this 250000 watch might be worth half a million dollars. Right. And yes. so there's that component, too. Uh, the one thing that I will say that I thought was really great about the release is that they did do a piece unique. Yes. They did a piece unique, uh, with the black suit Mm Spider-Man. Uh, and they did, they did an auction for this in Dubai to, uh, help raise money for uh, charity. So there was a charitable component. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, the, the watch collectors in, in, in the Middle East are, I mean, there's there's no one else like them in the world. These guys really do love timepieces. Yes, and spare no expense. <laughs> uh, so that black suit Spider Man ended up selling for six million dollars. A <laughs> uh, lot of coin. Yes, a lot of coin. Whole lot of coin. Um, and so you know, I will say, like you know, shout out to AP, and I think you know, to your point, 
originally talking about Francois's contribution, um, what a way to exit. Yes. Right? Uh, you exit after years and years, decades he spent laboring in, over this brand and, and, and rebuilding their U.S. presence and international presence. Mm-hmm. And you had this amazing relationship that you cultivated with Don Cheadle and Marvel that you know brought out a, a hit watch and you leave with another hit. Not only that, but you get to exit doing some good, um, you know, generating millions of dollars for charities mm-hmm. amongst people who, you know, probably not going to resell this timepiece. Yes. Right? Like the person who spent $6 million on this watch is, is going to wear this watch around Dubai and flex it. Oh, for sure. And the great thing about Dubai is that you can actually do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to see him and his black Spider-Man watch. Yeah. Yes. Um, so shout out to Francois. And, yes. uh, you know, they just announced a, a, a new CEO. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know she's going to do great. Um, I think the direction the AP is going in is incredible. There's a lot of leading ladies at the forefront yes. of this company now. And it's one of the most you know, renowned companies in the watch industry. So I just think that this is uh, overall is, should be celebrating all around. I agree. Uh, moving along. There's another watch that sold for quite a bit. Yes. Uh, Phillips had an auction. Mm-hmm. And this was a watch that we had talked about amongst ourselves off camera for some time, mm-hmm. but we never really got to talk about on camera. Yeah. And so Phillips had a, their Hong Kong auction and there was a special Patek Philippe watch that was uh, in the auction. It was a reference uh, 96 triple date calendar. Yes. Uh, Calatrava watch that belonged to the last emperor of China. Yes. Uh, a Mr. Asen Jiroro Puyi um, of the Qing Dynasty. Um Apologies if I butchered the name. Uh, uh, not well versed in the language, but I uh, I did get to visit uh, Phillips when they were showing the Hong Kong auction uh, pieces here in New York, mm. and I was accompanied by Paul Bustros. Shout out to you, Paul. Shout out to Paul. And there was a woman who was so kind and so knowledgeable, who actually helped. Um, facilitate Phillips in getting this watch that was able to tell me uh, the story of this timepiece. What's interesting is that this, this, the life story of this emperor was documented in um, uh, filmmaker uh, Bertolucci's 1987 uh, film, The Last Emperor. Wow. Um, so there's quite a bit of, of, of commotion around this piece. Um, but also when you see the piece, it's, it's, pretty interesting it is um you know it's it's not by any means in mint condition yes it is well worn well loved um it is the dial is been uh tampered with Mm. uh which is evident one of the things that we spoke about yeah when we initially saw the the press release um and i know i remember ben included there was some you know, skepticism on whether or not that 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 was done intentionally. Yes. And so what's funny is when I got to visit Phillips and they walked me through this exhibition, 
uh, I asked about that. I was thinking about Ben. I asked about that. And I said, hey, so, you know, half of the dial seems to be scratched out in a way that looks like it was done intentionally. Mm -hmm. And being that it belonged to uh, the last emperor of China and aesthetically, you know, what we know of um, Chinese culture and Chinese art, it kind of had this thing where it mirrored like maybe a sunsetting. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. Right? And so that kind of made it look like, what's going on here? Yeah. And so I asked about that, and um, I can't remember the woman's name. Um, I will, I'll get the name, and we'll put the text in there somewhere. But uh, she told me, she said, you know, so this gentleman was a, um, he was a prisoner of, of war mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union. So he was transported from China to the Soviet Union, and he was living um, with some of his, um, I guess you can say some of his subjects, on a, a a prisoner's camp. Mm. And so he had a translator. And this is the emperor. This emperor. is the emperor. Yes. He had a translator, uh, a Soviet Union translator, whom, you know, they became amazing friends. And him and his, I believe it was his cousin, the emperor and his cousin, would play around with the watch. He would actually, you know, allow his cousin to wear the watch. He didn't want to wear it. Mm. And they were curious, apparently, whether or not and she had gotten this story from someone who was one of the emperor's servants that was on the camp with him. Wow. Um, much, much uh, later, they actually interviewed this gentleman several times before he recalled this story. Wow. And what he recalled was that the emperor and his cousin uh, were curious if the dial was made of some sort of precious metal. And so they took the watch apart, they popped the dial out, and they started scratching the dial up to see if there was like gold or something underneath. Yeah. And so once they did and they discovered that it wasn't, they said, okay, put it back together. Put it back together and and call it a day. Wow. And so apparently that's how it uh, it got like that. But uh, at some point, uh, once China moved into. A, uh, a communist, uh, you know, system. They called back for the the emperor, mm. and um, he didn't want to go. He wanted to stay in the Soviet Union. Actually, he had thought that for sure he would be killed upon returning to China. Mm. And so, uh, as he was mentally preparing himself for death, he decided he was going to give, or rather, leave all of his possessions with his translator, with wow. his Russian translator. And so he left the watch. Uh, there was a bunch of beautiful watercolor paintings yes. that were painted by his cousin. One of them was painted by him. The paintings were magnificent. They were instruction paintings that would teach uh, the Soviets, um, I, I believe it was Mandarin. Um, and so they would put the Chinese characters over the images mm. that were painted so that they knew what they were referencing when they used a certain word. Wow. So when they use house or they use doors, you know, just everyday objects kind of things to make it easier for them. Wow. And so he left all of this to him. And uh, this translator became sort of, you know, a celebrity in his neighborhood mm. uh, because of his association with 
the emperor. The emperor returned to China. He was not killed. Mm. They actually paraded him around as sort of a a model of um, you know what can happen uh, in terms of um, you know sort of uh, bringing an, an emperor out of his his regalness and you know recoup him back into society as a, a normal person. Yes. And um, they made him sort of the poster child for this. Mm. And, um, and so he lived the rest of his days out, out there. And, um, you know, this gentleman had all this stuff and his daughter inherited it. And that's how it wound up at, at Phillips, really? apparently. Yeah. So then um, this, because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the film. Mm-hmm. But what um in the film there's no reference to the watch <laughs> well, no, re- no reference to the watch but just like i guess this emperor so what time period is this again this is like turn of the century okay 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 so this is turn of the century so um now the story so the last so the last living person with the timepiece was the translator's niece or or daughter the translator's uh, daughter. daughter. Yes, actually, I'm sorry. Forgive me. This was somewhere around the 1940s, 1950s. Okay. Okay. So 1940s, 1950s. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it it was with the daughter. She got in touch with someone that she had all of these artifacts. I think she was of the opinion that this should be somewhere important, not just sitting in my house. Mm. And she got connected with Phillips, and it, it went up for auction. So I went to see it, and there was some debate. I think that the the unofficial at that time was unofficial listing was they thought it might fetch somewhere around two million dollars. I was going to say two million. It sounds like it would be two million dollars. Yeah, and I think we had. I think we had predicted two million dollars. I thought it was going to go for much more. So, mm. and the, the reason why is I figured, you know, and. There was some debate. I remember talking to a bunch of people about this, and it was sort of like, okay, well, it's it's an old Patek. It's beat up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it didn't belong to him, you wouldn't be asking for $2 million. Yeah. $2 million is a high ask. That's it. But from my perspective, I said, you know, I think the difference here is that it, it would attract more than just a watch collector. Yeah. Right, because it's a piece of history. It's it's ephemeral. You said now that. at this point, right? So there's a level of historical significance mm-hmm. to the piece uh, that comes into play, and I think that's why it would fetch much, much more. Yes. And so the final the final uh, numbers came in, and it, it was a, a whopping six point two million dollars. Uh, this piece sold for. Now it wasn't just the watch; it was the whole set. Yes. So along with the watch. You would get. They wanted to keep everything together. You get the watercolor paintings. Mm. There was a special fan that belonged to him mm. uh, that you get, and you get the watch. Mm. And so I don't know anything about the the collector who who purchased it. I imagine it was someone who understands the cultural significance yes. um, of this of this collection, and that's what separates it, I think, from being a traditional. Uh, watch at auction. Yeah. But I know, you know, one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, and this was a point that I remember Ben had made, when does lore sort of surpass, I guess, quality? Yes. And, you know, it's a great question. Um, I think personally, 
this is probably one of those few cases. I agree. Right? Where not only did this belong to an important historical figure, when you think about all that was happening around this figure during this time, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you think about the associations with this figure uh, and the film, 1987 film, when you think about what Patek means to watches, yeah. what it may have meant to him in terms of, of being a caretaker of a Patek. Yes. Uh, there's all of these other elements that are at play that I think makes this piece uh, incredibly special. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised. I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't have been surprised if it went for $10 million. Mm. Ten million is aggressive. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's it's at a it's at a different point now. Yeah, you know. I mean, definitely for one hundred percent, like that piece, actually, you know, surprised that it is at auction. Like that's something that you would see in a museum. Exactly, and that's probably where it'll end up. Yeah, I, I very much doubt that the person who purchased this watch is going to be wearing it. No, so it's not that kind of piece. You know, this is a piece that belongs someplace where people can see it. Yes. Um, it belongs. It, it, I think it belongs. It belongs in the country. It belongs. Yes. It belongs in China. So let me ask. So because you you physically seen the piece, how were they very protective? Were they very guarded? So when I went there, it was in a glass case. You could not touch. You it. couldn't touch it. No, there was. They were not pulling it out to show people. Yeah. And that's a great question because when you when you visit mm-hmm. um, these auction houses as press. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you learn quickly, right, is that they the watches are precious. They're going off auction, yeah. But they 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 treat them like watches. They do, meaning that it's like, hey, come take pictures, try it on, yeah. Put it on your wrist. You can wind it up, yeah. set the time. Like you're allowed to do this, yeah. At the auction houses, yeah, especially with watches that they may even presume to list at two million dollars. Like we've, uh, yes, we've held like two million dollar watches and it was totally fine. Yeah. So I had to ask because it's like yeah, I mean that that's like that's history in your hands. And I and I think that's part of the reason why they treated it so delicately mm-hmm. um and even the way that they had it presented it was presented um with a lot of respect it was done exceptionally well they had literally it was the only watch on this one floor mm-hmm. when you entered phillips they had a red carpet going all the way up the steps and it was presented in a glass showcase with uh two flags in the background mm. Uh, one big one that said the last emperor and then uh, on the walls were all of the watercolor paintings. Wow. And they were beautiful. Um, And so this lovely woman uh, took me downstairs to see the watch. Uh, They did not pull it out, but she encouraged me to get as close to the last as I could to like really, really get a good look at it and told me this amazing story. And then I went upstairs and I looked at some amazing watches that they had going up for auction where I actually got to slap them on the wrist. Mm. So it was quite an experience. Uh, so shout out to to Paul Bustros and, and, and Phillips. Yes. Uh, big shout out to Paul Lerner uh, for setting that up for us. Yes. Um, shout out to the Pauls. Shout out to the Pauls. <laughs> um, speaking of which, uh, there is another auction mm. coming up. Our good friends at Sotheby's mm-hmm. um, have their important watches uh auction coming on june 9th yes um you 
can actually get a chance to visit Sotheby's between June 1st and the 8th. They'll be open to the public starting at 10 a.m. every day, mm-hmm. closing between, I think, maybe 5 to 7, depending on the day. And uh, you can actually do exactly what we just said. You can go to Sotheby's. Um, you do not have to pay to get in. You can go and see the watches. And in many cases, depending, you know, who's there, you may even have an opportunity to slap it on the wrist. Yes. Uh, but they've got some great pieces uh, going up for auction. I visited them recently and got to check some stuff out and take yeah. some pictures. Yeah. Major shout out to Richard Lopez. Big shout out to Vincent and mm-hmm. Janet. Uh, Christina as well. Um, and so that's exciting. And um, we have some special stuff in the works with them coming up as well in terms yes. of content. So yes. stay tuned on that. Um, but I can't wait for that. So shout out to those guys. Shout out to Sotheby's. Shout out to Sotheby's. Uh, there was one other release I wanted to talk about um, that kind of snuck under the radar. Mm-hmm. And it was the Omega World Time. Yes. So they released two versions. Yes. Uh, one titanium, one steel. Mm-hmm. There's a rubber strap option. Mm-hmm. Steel is green. Titanium, I think, is black. Yes. Uh, 44 millimeters. Yes. Which is what the world timer is that they do. Exactly. Um, retails for, I think, just over 10 grand for the steel. Mm-hmm. A little over 11 for titanium. Yes. What, what do you think about this? Um... You know, to be honest, when I when I first kind of like started paying attention, I wouldn't even say paying attention to timepieces I always have, but I mean like really, really kind of diving into like um, high price point pieces. Okay. Um, the Planet Ocean World Time was sure. like one of those ones. Really? Yes. When I seen it, I was like, this dial is absolutely stunning. I'll give you that. The dial is beautiful. The dial is beautiful. And that, so what initially, so I love the steel rubber version. And then when they did the rose gold with the white dial, that's where I was like, it popped. But I mean, of course, like dollars $40,000 watch at the time then when I was looking was like just something just out of this world. Sure. Um, So- Kind of brings back memories of like, okay, like I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Mm. I like the fact that they introduced titanium. Um, I do like the green bezel idea. Um, it does kind of like add some flavor. Sure. Um, also, like we know Omega doesn't really participate in like watches and wonders and things like that. They don't at all. No. They kind of run their own schedule. They run their own schedule. They kind of like do their own thing. So like I thought this was like a, a, a great addition. Okay. Um, I know a lot of enthusiasts that when this watch released, they were they were talking about it. Some were very interested. Some even talked to me about acquiring them. So like mm. I, I I I gotta give it two thumbs up. I'm I'm two I'm, thumbs up. I'm with it. I'm okay. With it. I'm down for it. Listen, I'll say um I'm gonna hold my thumbs on this one. Mm. Um maybe I give it one thumb up. Okay. I like the dial. So the, the Omega World Timer has always been an interesting piece to me. Yes. Um I think the watch is is stunning. Yes. Um, but it always makes me think of how great Paddock really is. Because Yes. 
It's a 44 millimeter, dog. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's a lot of watch. Yeah. So and, uh, you know, you think about like with the 5131, which is, it's, I would say, inspired this piece. Um, it's so much thinner. Yes. It's so much thinner. The, the enameling, like, it just, it's, and it's not that, you know, this, it's not a bad watch. Like the Omega World Timer, I would love one. If yes. I get my hands on one, yes, I would. I would try to enjoy it the best I can. I don't know what I'm going to do with a 44 millimeter watch on my wrist, but yes, I'll see if I can make it work. Yes, uh, it is a great timepiece. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of look at it as for the Omega enthusiast. Yes, it's like if you are just like all about Omega, and and those people do exist. We talk to them all the time. Um, there are these guys, these women too, out here that. They love Omega and that's it. Yes. They, they, they're all about the vintage Omega. They have their modern pieces that they enjoy. And I imagine this is for that person who is um, is sort of curious about a world timer, mm-hmm. but is like not going to spend the money to get one with Paddock. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's not that's not in the mm-hmm. that's not in the circumference for me. Yeah. But. $10,000 on a Omega World Timer? Okay, now you're talking. I think they make, outside of Paddock, I think they make the best World Time in the industry. Okay. Um, because everybody else kind of go, goes like the other way and they'll just do, you know, the major cities on like the, kind of like the bezel where you hit the pushes sure. and like, you know, where it's out on the bezel. Um, I do like the um, the longer World Times. Yeah. Those are really cool just because of like the action mm-hmm. or like the push. It's like it has like this nice like hard like snap or like um Oh yeah. Kind of like how it changes over. Yeah, it feels nice. It 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 feels like um it feels like driving a stick shift. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's just something that you just enjoy doing. Yeah, or like no. it's just one of those buttons where, you know, like when you were a kid and it's like one of those like doorbells and you're just like ding. Yeah, sure. Your mom's like, stop hitting that damn button. You know what I mean? It's like one of those where you just like can't stop pushing it. Yeah, no. Um, so I I think I think outside of like so functionally, I would say longer world time. Okay. Amazing. Aesthetically, if it's not paddock, I'm going with the uh the plant ocean. All right, respect. Yeah, for sure. Respect. There's something that, you know, what I love about Omega and what I love about Omega enthusiasts and mm-hmm. the world timer makes me think about about this person mm-hmm. is that with Omega, what I love about them is that they don't they don't ever try too hard. No. They they just do it. Yes. You know, and even like the world timer release, I think when you think about a lot of the big releases that they've had, they've always tried their best to like just kind of slide them under the radar. Yes. And then watch the public react to it. So this obviously wasn't one where the public had like this crazy reaction to it. But the enthusiasts are going to come out. They're going to love it. They'll buy it. It'll be a success, I'm sure. Agreed. Uh, but when you think about when they did the Minute Repeater, when we think about um, even the the, the Aquaterras, when we think about the Moonshine Gold Speedmaster, mm-hmm. they don't participate in Watches and Wonders. There isn't like this whole boom, look at what we did. It's kind of just like, here you go. Yes, yes. It's always it's always kind of like here underlining. You go. It's very yeah, underlining. Even with the you know going back to the uh, the swatch release. Yes. Um, 
you know, they tried their hardest to kind of keep it under wraps. Yes. And it was just so eye-catching, so mm -hmm. so beloved that it leaked mm -hmm. and it blew up. Yeah. You know, and I think that says something about Omega just in general. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's something that I think about when I think about Omega Collectors that I, I really enjoy when I'm, I'm talking to them. Yeah, I agree. Um, last on the list, we've gotten an opportunity to see not all, but some yes. of the latest Rolex uh, novelties. Mm -hmm. um, I I've only seen, so I've seen, I've seen the new GMTs. Yes. And the new Explorer. Yes. What are your thoughts? Oh, I was always down for the GMT. Solid gold, solid yellow gold GMT. Um, and then adding the Jubilee bracelet. Yeah. Um, you know, because we spoke about it before. So Rolex hasn't offered a solid gold Jubilee in quite some time. Years. Quite some time. Yes. Yeah. Very, very true. So like, you know, when you talk about them kind of like digging back in their bag, I was feeling it. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, you know, we give Rolex a lot of um you know, trouble with um, sure. <laughs> just what we think about some of the novelties and their releases. And, you know, I'll be one to say it as a Rolex fanboy, like some things are very lazy on their part. But, you know, speaking to, you know, kind of starting at the top of the episode, talking about just like their revenue, their numbers, their um, production levels. It's like, I mean, well, what do you expect from them? You know, how do they, you know, introduce or innovate something new how do they reinvent the wheel you know when you're trying to um actually please the public and please sure. the people um you know it's very hard it's funny i just not to go off topic oh but well this is kind of on topic but like you know someone was freaking out i was talking to him today was freaking out about the idea of the um the emoji dating okay and i was like well People complain that Rolex is too, um, too serious, mm. and then they introduce something that's not so serious. Of course, they didn't, um, you know, intentionally or like publicly say that it's tied to autism or mental health, etc., and so on and so forth. But we know that that's always on the forefront in these days. Currently, where you know we talk about just like mental well-being and so many different things. So to piggyback on that, because I thought I think that's a great point. Yeah, I was I was speaking with someone else the other day, and they had a really good point touching on that when I overheard them talking, and because they were talking about you know the whole like it kind of positions itself to be like autism awareness, but they yeah. didn't say anything and it made them feel away. And this person said, Rolex is a non-for-profit anyway. What difference does it make? The money is going to go yes. to help those in need yes. either way. So who's to say that they don't have or, you know, a relationship with uh, Autism Awareness Association or they aren't already giving and maybe they are allocating dollars for that. Yes. Who isn't it? It might be even more powerful not to say anything. Yes. And to use the funds to do that and just give you the product and say, here, take this. Yes. Love it. Because at the end of the day, you know this watch isn't going to be widely available. Yes. So what's this? What's the point in telling you that if you go out and buy it, the money goes here, when chances are you're probably not going to be able to get it anyway. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's an off-catalog piece anyway. Yeah. Like you, 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 you virtually, you know, you know, um, 
and I say this respectfully, but average Joe can't buy it. Yeah, so I don't I don't know how important it is for them to, you know, to to make that announcement or associate any of their watches uh, with a cause. I mean, even if you visit their Instagram page, mm -hmm. they're constantly inundating you with what they are doing around the world and how they are helping in different initiatives, whether it's bringing food someplace or helping out with, you know, people getting resources to water, et cetera. Um, so they're already doing the work. Yes. And I thought that was an interesting point. So, yeah. Um, I will say, after having seen the new GMT in person, it's nice. pretty good. Not <laughs> bad I thought you were going to go with your iconic line. It's, it's kind of nice. It's, 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 it is. It's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. It is. It's got me thinking. It's like, man, if I ever do get another GMT, would I? Is that me? Two-tone? Solid gold? Solid gold? What yeah. do I do? I don't know. I like I like this kind of like... Um, I like the bezel insert because they did a entirely new bezel insert with like that gray sure um i could assume you know knowing watches and you know sometimes how they're like processed i'm pretty sure like that might have been something that was like a failed project it was like, of course oh we were, we were trying to do black and it turned out do, great they were trying to do like yellow or something they were like yeah we're gonna hit him with this black and yellow and, then, and, and they were like shh we can't do it. Yeah, exactly. But like, we can't just give them a black bezel again. Yes. And like, because cause it has that soft, subtle sure. gray. So it's like, they... They, they tried something. Yes, they, they, tr for, they tried something. And absolutely. They, and they settled I for that. I thought of the same thing. Very, very like... um When they tried to do the Pepsi and the Cerachron. Yes. And they ended up just doing the... Uh, they just went to black. They're like, we can't do blue and red yet. Yes. Very, um, I, I won't say lazy. I'll say very Rolex on their part. Sure. <laughs> Shout out to Rolex. Shout out to Rolex. Um, well, this was fun. I yes. want to say uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and supporting. Yes. Uh, stay tuned. We got some more surprises coming your way this season. Special mm -hmm. guests, special products, special events. And uh, it's going to be a good season nine of, of Rich Check Pod. Um, shout out to Ben. Uh, he couldn't make it, but he'll be with us next week. Yes, sir. And uh, you know where to find us. Uh, Instagram, at Risk Check Pod. TikTok for the children, same, at Risk Check Pod. We're on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, mm -hmm. Amazon Music now. Yes. Yes. Um, we're everywhere. You can find us if you're looking. All you got to do is type in Risk Check Podcast. And um, we'll see you next week. This yes. was episode 57. Seven. Yeah. Wow. Seven. Deuces. Seven. Peace.